This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Conde Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Lale Arakoglu. Hello. This week, we're talking about something that's a bit of a dream for those of us that love to travel, and that's spending weeks, months, and even years on the road as a full-time traveler. We've brought in two experts on the subject who have each packed up, gotten rid of their apartments and homes, and traveled for extended periods of time around the U.S. and the world. Calling in from France, we have Jada Yuan, the former New York Times 52 Places traveler who tackled 52 destinations in 52 weeks in 2018, writing about each stop along the way. She's now a political features writer at The Washington Post. And from Seattle, we have blogger and photographer Renee Honnell, also known as Renee Roaming, who tackled a seven-month journey to visit every national park in the U.S. with her husband, Matthew. Thank you both so much for joining us. Great to be here. (laughs) So we'll kick things off with a question that I'm sure you have both gotten asked before but I am still desperate to know the answer which is what made you both decide to go on this wild adventure in the first place and you both have very different stories so I'd love to know how how you both kind of reached that point and how you got started with it all. So I've been a freelance photographer and blogger and I'm also a a new author as well Um, but I've been doing that for about three years now and it wasn't always my career path. I was a speech therapist before getting into photography so and you can probably tell by my accent some people are probably thinking she doesn't sound American. I'm actually Australian and I moved to the US five years ago and it was three years ago that I decided to take photography full-time and my photography is focused mostly around traveling and exploring the outdoors and unique travel destinations. So essentially um, how my full-time traveling came about was my husband actually got let off from his job back when we lived in Colorado and we were looking to go on a little bit of a trip and so essentially I thought okay I'll quit my job as a speech therapist And we'll just see if we can do this whole photography thing full time. So that's what we did. And we traveled for, I guess, almost a year when we got presented with this really amazing opportunity to travel to all 59 U.S. national parks. It was a client project um, based around our photography. And of course, we couldn't say no, because that's just, you know, an incredible opportunity. So, yeah, that's how we got into it. It kind of just got presented and um, we had the choice whether to do it or not. And, yeah, we took the chance and it ended up being fantastic. 
And Jada, you... Obviously, it wasn't like you just got up and decided you were going to do this trip yourself. You applied for a highly publicized job at The Times. What prompted you to kind of make the leap and be like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot? I mean, I think that it was it was a job listing that I saw on the New York Times homepage. It wasn't even it wasn't even like I went looking for the job listing. I, I was a New York Times subscriber. And I logged in, and in my top 10 articles, there was a job posting, which I don't think has ever happened. Um, and it said, you know, do you want to travel around the world for the New York Times? And I said, well, I'll click on that. And so I clicked on it. And the reason it was in my top 10 is because it was so popular that by the time I even just like pressed that button, I think around 3,000 people had already applied for the job. And luckily, I didn't know that. I just sort of saw the job listing. It was very vague. And it was to go to all 52 places on the Times's 52 places to go list, which is a list of the best travel destinations of the year for whatever reason. It could be that a new airport opened in a remote place or that there's an anniversary celebration. Um, for instance, in my year, there was a, a lot of celebrations for World War I, the centennial. Um, yeah, and so I wanted to do it because I love traveling and I was working a full-time job. I'd been working full-time since I was in my early 20s at New York Magazine and it was a great job interviewing celebrities and I'd worked my way up to that, obviously, over many years. But like most Americans, I didn't have like any real vacation time. I had maximum four weeks and... I would try to get as far away as I could, but you just can't get that far. Even if you took a two-week vacation, you have two days of traveling probably within within that. And I just thought, what a great idea. And also, I wouldn't have to quit my job. Um, being a journalist was really important to me, and it was sad to me. I didn't understand the kind of courage it would take to to just sort of take off and, you know, quit your job like Renee did. It, was, it seemed just so unfathomable to me. I was like, I really like what I do. I thought that you sort of, to travel the world, you needed to be dissatisfied with your life, <laughs> like want something entirely new. And I didn't want something entirely new. I wanted a chance to be a journalist and see the world at the same time. I'm curious, just on both of your trips, obviously the way you traveled was very different. I know that Renee, you guys were traveling around in a van. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what life was actually like on the road, like how you created a routine or how you like had any semblance of like normalcy when you were waking up in a different place every day? Yeah. So my husband, my husband and I, we did live in a van for seven months on that trip and it was a pretty small van. It wasn't one of these decked out sprinter vans. It was absolutely amazing, but it was quite small. It was just a, for anyone who knows them, it's a Westphalia Vanagon. So they're pretty small. Anyway, my husband and I, we always joke because we literally, other than having showers and using the bathroom, we spent 24, like every single waking minute of every single day for seven months together. And, you know, I'm sure any introvert out there can um, can understand that, that that's pretty full on not having any time, any time to yourself and also just, you know, going, going, going every single day. So it was really hard to have a routine. 
I wouldn't say we necessarily did. <laughs> we, um, because it was a photography trip, we had to get up for sunrise pretty much every single day. And we were out until sunset pretty much every day capturing those photos and particularly over summer that's some really long days like it barely even got dark in Alaska so yeah we we pretty much just napped whenever we could we we tried our hardest to eat healthy and to still work out but most of the time it was just going on walks or hiking in the parks but yeah I'm, I'm not gonna lie I wouldn't really say we had a routine or any resemblance of it. Once the trip was over and you were back to kind of so-called regular life uh did you feel like you still needed to spend every waking second together no and we actually have completely separate offices now like we obviously love each other we're married but um we work very differently and we also you know we have some different interests which is normal and yeah so we have a, um, a th at the moment we actually just bought a house but right now we're still living in our apartment and it's a three-story, uh, very like skinny three-story apartment. And we each have our own office. I'm on the very top floor and he's on the very bottom floor. So we're literally as far away from each other as you can get. So it's, it's pretty funny. When Jada, you were on your own for most, if not all, of your trip. What was that like and how, how did your day-to-day -day go? Yeah, very different than Renee's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had to, I was not with anyone for a large portion of the trip. I, I had some friends visit me sometimes, especially when I was traveling in the U.S. I had people who who I could I could meet up with, who I knew, who lived in, in some of the states. I, I like to say that my friend Sarah's couch in Seattle was my favorite hotel that I stayed in. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was... It, it was a lot of the same kind of thing where I had to take my own photos and video and also write articles. And the 52 places happened within probably more like 11 months. So I was going to a new place every four to seven days. The Times estimated that I traveled around 75,000 miles last year and that that's around a third of the way to the moon. And um, it was on every conceivable form of transportation that you could have from boats to planes. And I don't know, it was, I didn't, I didn't have any kind of routine whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the most routine thing I could do was just sleep whenever I was tired. And I think that that sounds like what Renee did too, is just mm -hmm. naps are the most essential part of traveling. <laughs> Jada, you're a reporter and obviously to be a reporter, you have to be very good at plucking up the courage to talk to complete strangers and ask them questions. I'm wondering yes. whether having that skill helped you find social opportunities and combat that loneliness when you were off the clock. Well, I was never really off the clock. <laughs> so that was that was the hard part. The only times I was really off the clock was when I was stuffing my face with food. And often I would do that alone while doing an Instagram story. But I do think that being a reporter has for my entire career been a real social crutch and a good one. Um, I would say that a lot of reporters are introverts and that it's sort of a veneer and a way to have a construction around around talking to people. So because I'm a reporter, then I kind of have a purpose when I talk to someone. And so I'm able to 
just work that calculus in my mind that takes away the shyness. Um, I would also say that the number one way to make friends is to just ask someone to take a picture of you or to ask if you can take a picture of them because it just it's a really non-threatening, simple way to just have something in common and then you have a little interaction time and often a lot of friendships came from that. Also similar to what Jada said, it was just go, go, go. Like we, we barely had any breaks. It was, we weren't really switching off at any point other than, you know, taking the occasional nap or, you know, even those times when we were driving, I was usually in the back of the van working on my laptop or, you know, thinking up Instagram captions and things like that. It just, it definitely wasn't as glamorous as I think some people would think that it would be. But I, I will say that the important thing is even when you're you're working all the time on this thing that looks incredibly glamorous and fun from the outside, and it is, is to really remember that you are experiencing something wondrous and once of a lifetime and to take moments just sort of sitting, taking in the scene every once in a while. <laughs> it's, it's hard to remember to slow down like that, but I think that that when I did, it was, it's really important. And those things are, are sort of logged into my memory. Um, and a lot of the work also, the, the writing work, I don't know if Renee, you feel this way, but I feel like I have my photos that I can look back on and they'll jog my memory, but the, the writing is what really embedded me in those places. And I have memories, even though the writing was really hard, I remember conversations with people and I remember scenes better than I would if I if I hadn't had any kind of structure. I totally agree with Jada because uh, I tried to keep a journal every single day. Sometimes I, uh, you know, it was a little bit hard late at night to always write in it. And also, you know, you just always didn't feel like it. But I tried to write as much as possible about those moments, like what Jada said, those special moments where you, where you met people or you saw an incredible sunset or you just you got to experience something really amazing. And I must admit, reading back on those, it definitely feels so much more nostalgic and I can really feel myself in those moments compared to if I just look at those photos. So there really is something to be said about writing. And to both of your points, again, it's sort of, I feel like the conversation when we talk about traveling full-time always has to come back to being like it's not as glamorous as it looks it's very <laughs> physically exhausting it can be very emotionally exhausting and I feel like you've kind of both touched on this a bit but I actually want to know what were the best parts of traveling full-time what are the bits that you really miss yeah so definitely there's some amazing things that come with full-time traveling and and I hope we're not making it sound like it was horrible <laughs> or well with me because it it certainly wasn't but I think where maybe we have some differences to some people because I know my sister took a year off and she traveled the world but she wasn't working at the same time and I think there's a big difference between someone taking a gap year or going traveling around the world on a vacation not that that doesn't have challenges because I've done extended travel for fun and that still has challenges too but I think what Jada and I did is quite different in that you know we were working every day and we weren't switching off from work and there weren't weekends and there weren't days off so yeah I think it's a little bit different but in terms of 
all the good things. For me, being more based in nature and doing all the outdoor stuff, it was definitely those moments of, you know, hiking up the hiking up a mountain peak and watching sunset or or maybe seeing a wild animal out on the trails and just getting to meet some really interesting people in the States. Because being Australian, I'd only lived in Colorado before. And I'd, I'd done some traveling around the country, but Obviously, I hadn't at that point been to 39 of the states and got to meet so many people. So really just getting such a great idea of American culture and the people of this country. And yeah, just getting to kind of get out of my comfort zone and experience some new things. That was that was the the highlights for me. Yeah, for me, I, I mean, it was going to countries that I just never knew where I was going to find the time to get to. I, I just... Honestly, Australia was sort of on the top of my list because I'd never, I'd never been to that continent. Um, I'd never been to that part of the world, and I got to spend a month in Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji, and so that was, that was just really special for me. Um, getting to go all the way around the world, sort of pushing myself to do things that I wouldn't have done on my own if I weren't if I weren't working and if I weren't trying to sort of live an experience to share with other people. So I went paragliding, I did canyoning, I climbed up uh, very stupidly up multiple mountains in very bad weather by myself. (laughs) Um, I got lost a bunch of times and I met extraordinary people. I think that the, the big takeaway for me was, I think living in New York And being a woman living in New York, I had built up a kind of suspicion of other people. And I I don't think that you can totally make that go away. We've heard lots of things about women travelers and just sort of in your own everyday life. There's always some sort of element of you have to watch your back. But what I just found was kind strangers everywhere who helped a lost traveler. (laughs) I was lost all the time and I had to ask for help all the time. And I met wonderful people who invited me into their homes and, you know, gave me whatever they had. And it was just, it was, it was a really beautiful experience. And all of those sunsets, I will not forget any of them. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. 
Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to level up? For me, it's my hiking boots, which have gotten me over some pretty tough terrain. And I'm not talking about my morning commute on the New York City subway. They've pushed me to go to far-off places like trekking in the remote mountains in Patagonia, wildlife spotting amid the thick rainforest of the Amazon, and climbing through canyons in the Utah desert. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. There's an available panorama glass roof, 33-inch all-terrain tires, and multi-terrain select driving modes. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior means that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I'm curious if there were any places that you thought I should just stop now and live here. Like I'm just, I'm gonna just stop. And I'm gonna. I know that the working part probably would have thrown a wrench into that. But was there anywhere you were like, oh, I really wish I could just stay? Yeah, I really wanted. I I still want to go back to Sao Tome and Principe, which is a dual island nation off the west coast of Africa. I just found the way of life there so incredibly different from what I have experienced. It was. There, there was no way to even get money out of an ATM as a foreigner. Very few people spoke English. Uh, most people spoke Portuguese and Cajun. And Principe has a population of 8,000 people. And I was driving around with some Portuguese nationals who were living there. And I was just like, this is an amazing life. Like, you spent this morning getting your car out of the mud. <laughs> that was like how you spent your morning. And I couldn't think of anything more delightful. <laughs> so I just, I really loved it there. And I, I loved Patagonia in Chile. It was just so, so gorgeous. And I'm, I'm sure my experience there was a lot like yours, Renee, in the national parks. It's, a, it's just a string of all of Chile's national parks down a highway. And it was beautiful and rainy the entire time I was there. <laughs> Renee, what about you? What place did you think, actually, maybe I'll just stay here and ditch the rest of this project? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so many of the parks are just beautiful. And I will preface there was 59 in 2017 when we did the trip. There's actually 61 now, um, just for anyone who didn't know that. But I mean, pretty much all the parks on the West are just stand out. Not that there's not beautiful ones on the East, but the West just is home to so many incredible parks. And I mean, I could just talk about them all day, but essentially, the reason we, one of the reasons we ended up in Seattle after this project was we love the parks in Washington. So you've got Mount Rainier National Park and you've got Olympic National Park and North Cascades, and they're all just so beautiful. They're quite close to the city, so you can um, you can get there really easily and just do like a day hike or a weekend trip. Um, so I guess to answer your question, we finding ourselves in Washington about, I would say, two-thirds of the way through the trip, we it really solidified that we wanted to move there after the trip, and, and that's definitely a place we could live. I'm curious because both of your trips had a pretty hard end date with the 52 weeks and the 59 parks. What was it like when you could start seeing the end in sight? Like, what was going through your head in those last couple weeks when you knew you were going to have to rejoin everyone else? 
we started getting a little bit nostalgic. I found my husband and I, we were like, oh, do you remember this thing at the start of the trip? And oh, I can't believe it was that long ago. And we started really, uh, for the first time, I feel like the whole trip, we started reflecting on the trip. And I feel like before that, it was just so fast paced and there was no time to do any reflection and no time to really think about anything other than just what we were doing right then in that moment, which was also a really great way to live in a way. But it was nice towards the end of the trip that we started talking about, you know, what was our favorite and what were some of our top experiences and what would we want to do again and, and that sort of thing. But I would say that in those last few parks and particularly because we ended our trip with the parks in the Pacific. So um, we went to Hawaii and went to the two parks there. And then we actually, our very last national park was American Samoa National Park. So we weren't even kind of like in, what do you call it? Like the continental US when we finished our trip, which is really bizarre in a sense. It kind of didn't feel like we were even in the national parks. So when we finished it, we were like, okay, well, I guess we're done now. And because we were, we were so close to Australia at that point, we, we flew home to spend some time with our family. And it just honestly kind of, it felt really weird. It was like it hadn't really finished. And part of that might have been because we still had so much work to do related to it. But yeah, in a way, it was a little bit of a letdown, the very end of it. But it was also a really incredible feeling of like, wow, we accomplished so much and we just had the trip of a lifetime. So it was good and bad. Yeah, I can really relate to a lot of what Renee is saying. <laughs> is, um, I had a really tough, personally, uh, time at the beginning of the trip. It was just, you know, I, I wasn't a full-time traveler. I wasn't even doing anything remotely travel-related. And here I was, like, taking a pretty big leap, which was quitting a job I'd had for 17 years and taking on this new job at a prestigious publication. And it was a project that neither I nor they had ever done. And so there were a lot of hiccups in terms of support and just logistics and how was I getting from place to place and um, how was I getting things on deadline and, and I, I missed a ton of deadlines and it wasn't it just I, I kept being in sort of like constant constant fear that I was get, they were going to stop the trip and fire me that was basically and once I got towards maybe August I kind of started to calm down because I realized okay at this point I've done enough of this trip that like they'll probably let me go to the end and then also I it that hit me and then it, it what also hit me was was that oh my god this is going to end and I need to get out of my head I need to stop you know complaining about small things and really just soak this this experience in and what happened was I just started taking a lot more moments for myself as the as the end came along and I was in places I'd never been so I so I was in Africa and I was in the South Pacific and I was in Asia. And as I kept getting further and further away from home, um, I stopped having friends visit me. So I was just by myself doing these parts of the trip and really taking it in for myself and my writing improved. I started hitting deadlines more, like everything just sort of started clicking into place and then it was over. And I still had a ton of work to do. 
you know, I had to write up a, a giant wrap up piece about it, which I did in a week. And then I had to get my expenses in, which was also very difficult. And, um, I came back to the States to go to the New York Times travel show and all of my friends and family came to see me. And that was, that was really great. So I came back in January earlier than I thought I was going to come back. I had, I'd allowed myself to have a holiday at the end. I had friends who were coming into Bangkok from, from Seattle, the friend whose couch I stayed on. And so she met me in Bangkok and we had a holiday together, but yeah, when my friend I saw my friends and family, I was so happy to see them, but also I just felt weird. I felt like a like a fish out of water. And so the first thing I did was go to Sundance Film Festival right after that. So like I dropped down, I spent about two days in New York, and then I went off to do something else. And it, it was just I was in my apartment, I'd subletted it. it, all of my stuff was gone, but all of the paint problems that you know the the peeling paint on my walls was still there that I never gotten fixed (laughs) and it was it was just it's been a long come down from it. I did want to ask you know you talked about how tough it was at the beginning and it really took you like seven eight months to hit your stride and you left a job of 17 years to take on this gargantuan task do you think you kind of fully knew what you were getting into when you embarked on that on that year-long trip? No. <laughs> no, I thought, I mean, it seemed, it, it was not an opportunity I could turn down. It was definitely, I never, I would never make a different choice than, than what I did. I just didn't, I, I wish that I'd known a little bit more. I think I, I, I kind of just wish I'd hired an assistant. Um, <laughs> Don't like, we all, all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I just wish I'd hired an assistant and I think I would have been fine. <laughs> I'm curious now that now that time has passed, if you both feel like settled. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a funny it's a funny thought because, yeah, I mean, my husband and I, we still travel. We run our business together and we still travel, I would say, at least 50 percent of the year. But we're trying to not do more than two weeks of every month. So I don't know, to be honest, I don't really feel settled. I feel more settled than what I felt like on that trip. And it's so funny listening to Jada talk about her experience because literally everything you're saying, Jada, I'm like, oh my gosh, me too. (laughs) Uh, But um, yeah, seriously, it was such a weird feeling ending that trip. It was like almost like I couldn't sit still. I, I, you know, I was hanging out at my, my parents' house and we were kind of just trying to come down from the trip and yeah and I and I didn't really know anymore how to have time off and I'm still working that out I still like tomorrow's my birthday and I think I'm gonna work all day which is really lame it's because I have a lot of deadlines but I honestly I just don't feel like I really know how to switch off anymore and yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not complaining because I feel like it's a it's a really cool thing that I got to do, but it definitely changed who I who I am. And it kind of took me up a notch in the sense of like how fast I go through life. And I'm still trying to find that balance of coming down from it all and just learning how to do nothing again, which is really weird to say. Yeah, I complete everything you're saying, Renee, I completely agree with. And, but it's, it's funny, I feel like mine is a mixture of 
just completely not knowing how to manage my time anymore. Where like if I'm traveling, I know exactly what I'm doing. If I'm on the road, I'm sort of locked in and I know what I'm doing. And then when I'm at home, I, you know, I was having I was trying to freelance and I was having trouble figuring out freelance deadlines and how to just manage a day where you didn't move. And so oftentimes I would just sort of wind up watching binge watching television for a whole day on end. Um, and I guess the nice part for me is I is I came back to New York and I, I haven't felt settled in New York, but I did start dating someone, which was a brand new thing. His, his birthday is tomorrow also. And uh, yeah, and he's been a kind of anchor for me in a way that that the place where I live is no longer an anchor. And right now I'm living in between two cities and um, I don't feel like I really live anywhere, but I don't mind it. It feels very natural. I'm curious because you're talking about feeling kind of out of water in the day-to-day life. I'm curious how the way you both travel has changed because of that ultra long stretch. I think I'm calmer. I think that that whatever happens, I notice this when I travel with other people is just, it's just sort of things happen and I just take care of them. And whereas maybe I would have blown up at a ticket agent or something like that in the past, I think I'm, I'm just chill. I'm a lot more chill than I used to be. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. We had so many things that came up on that trip that you know, we just, we just had to get over it and to move on, you know, the van would break down and, you know, that's it. You know, we had to change our plans and, you know, something would be closed and we, we would just have to work around it. And I definitely, just what Jada said, I definitely notice now when I travel with other people that like, other than my husband, everyone kind of seems a little on edge about everything and everything has to be, you know, planned out so perfectly. And I guess I used to be like that too, but now we kind of just go with the flow. We obviously still have to plan things, um, particularly when it's related to work. But when things happen that we we weren't, you know, accounting for, we just get over it and, and just fix it right there on the spot. And, and I guess it really did uh, teach us how to be better travelers. I learned to be able to pretty much sleep anywhere, which if you knew me before that trip, you'd be like, what are you kidding? I was always that person who needed the room, you know, to be perfectly dark and no sound and like all these things, which I still prefer that, to be honest. But we we would sleep in like Walmart parking lots and we would be in a tent in the middle of like grizzly bear country and all these things. So we we very quickly had to get over the whole like sleeping in a perfect environment, which, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, in the, in the final article I wrote for the Times, I said I said that sleeping anywhere was my superpower. I sort of feel like it's not it's not just that you're able to do it; it's that you it it allows you to travel. I'm jealous of that superpower. And to wrap things up, given that the two of you have been to so many places nonstop over the last couple of years, do you have plans for a big trip? Jada, I know that you've just committed to a brand new job, so maybe vacation days aren't on your horizon yet? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, this was the trip. Um, I am in the south of France. I, um, BJ, my boyfriend, knows these musicians and we're staying in their house that has no Wi-Fi. I'm using a cellular signal right now. And um, it turns out that they're a family of circus people, actually. 
Um, and so it's been just a really incredible, wonderful trip out here. So I'm, I'm happy with this. Yeah, so I, I have lots of travels coming up. It is a very large part of my work. So um, I'm going to Canada in, in a week or so. And then in early September, I'm going to Spain for a work trip. But in terms of any kind of personal travel I have coming up, my husband and I, we're planning an eating tour of Italy in October. So I'm really excited for that because, yeah, I just can't wait to get back to Italy and eat all the delicious food. Amazing. Well, we will wrap up there. We're going to include a link to Renee's book, Roaming America, in the show notes. But Renee, where can people find you on the internet to follow your journey? Yeah, so all the social media channels, it's Renee Roaming. And then my travel blog is ReneeRoaming.com. Amazing. And Jada? You can see me on Instagram at Alpha Jada, A-L-P-H-A-Jada, and um, on Twitter at JadaBird. And then I will be writing political features for the Washington Post. <laughs> Perfect. It's a, it's a, it's a, like a nice, you know, 180 from the travel content. Yeah. 2020 <laughs> election. What a way to return to real life. Yeah. I really, I'm going to, I'm going to wind up in Iowa, I think, a lot. <laughs> well, I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. I'm at Alejana. You can find new episodes of Women Who Travel every Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find more stories at womenwhotravel.com, and we will talk to you next week. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts in Dea, at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.